This is the Coronavirus Special Report. We are bringing you updates on the policy news you need to know using the reporting prowess of CQ Roll Call. I'm Sean Zeller. Today is Wednesday, September 16th. There's been more drama at the Department of Health and Human Services, with Michael Caputo, the top spokesman, taking a leave of absence, while Caputo's science advisor, Paul Alexander, is stepping down. Democrats had called for Caputo's resignation after he accused government scientists of plotting against President Trump and said the president's opponents planned armed insurrection after the election. Virus relief talks stalled on Capitol Hill a day after moderate lawmakers of both parties tried to get them going again by offering a compromise $1.5 trillion plan to extend unemployment benefits, aid states, and fund additional testing and tracing. Democratic committee chairs in the House issued a joint statement saying it fell short of what's needed. Republican senators indicated no willingness to come up from the $300 billion plan they failed to advance last week. Meanwhile, the Health and Human Services Department announced its plans for distributing a vaccine for the coronavirus. We have two reports, one on that announcement and the second on how public health officials in some states say they will seek to confirm that vaccine's efficacy on their own rather than rely on the Trump administration. It's now well known that the virus has taken a disproportionate toll on minority groups who have contracted the disease and died from it at rates much greater than whites. We'll have a report tonight on how it's also hit minority communities in the wallet. First, here's Sandia Rahman on the government's plan for distributing a vaccine. The Trump administration announced its plan on Wednesday for how to distribute the eventual COVID-19 vaccine. The administration's new guidance documents require states and localities to submit their specific plans to the CDC by October 16th. The Department of Health and Human Services and the Defense Department broke down the process into four steps. Communicating with local officials to promote the vaccine, distributing it to individuals, making sure the supply chain remains sustainable, and monitoring the vaccine's administration. Lieutenant General Paul Ostrovsky, who is in charge of supply production and distribution for the administration's vaccine project, said data monitoring will be a key challenge to ensuring that people get both doses of a vaccine. The Department of Defense will help with logistics and vaccine distribution. This is going to be a major test for the administration, given how many challenges it has already faced so far during the pandemic. Some Democratic lawmakers have already criticized the guidance documents as not planning enough in detail about what needs to be done. Administration officials said on Wednesday that the eventual vaccine or vaccines will start to be distributed 24 hours after an emergency authorization is issued, though when that could be still remains unclear. The advisory committee that's going to set the guidelines, ACIP, or the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, will set the guidelines for McKesson, who will do the distribution. CDC Director Robert Redfield told reporters that initially there may be a limited supply of vaccines, and essential workers and those highest at risk will be the first ones to receive vaccines. 
He also said it's unclear what it will take to get to herd immunity. But the guidance documents suggest that these vaccines will eventually be incorporated into routine healthcare. The administration still expects the vaccine will be free for most individuals. And Democratic candidate for President Joe Biden also spoke about vaccines on Wednesday, but he focused more on equitable vaccine distribution. Next, Emily Kopp has this report on states' reluctance to take the Trump administration's word on vaccine efficacy. The CDC and Operation Warp Speed released their plans for vaccine distribution today. My sources are still working through it, but some major questions are how the administration is going to make the vaccine free, although they have obtained doses from pharmaceutical companies and deals worth millions and billions of dollars. Um, It's not clear how the administration will cover the costs of storing the vaccine and of providers administering the vaccine. Although there are a lot of details about um, prioritization, there are some things that need to be worked out within those um, first priority groups. What criteria, for example, CDC is going to use when it prioritizes the vaccine to people who are at higher risk of um, becoming ill from COVID-19. Another concern is states are going to be watching the FDA approval process very closely. I've talked to some state public health departments who say they plan on independently looking at the data associated with the clinical trials in order to ensure that there is enough public confidence in any COVID-19 vaccine so that there is sufficient demand so that we can reach the herd immunity that we need in order to resume public life again. And this is pretty remarkable, you know, in the past, including, you know, the most recent like precedent for something like this, the H1N1 um, pandemic in 2009, states trusted the CDC and the FDA to give them guidance um, on the safety and efficacy of any vaccine. But given the Trump administration's rhetoric about making a vaccine available as soon as possible, some states are now assuring the public that they will be independently verifying that this vaccine will be safe before they administer it. So we're looking at the possibility that some states could move forward with vaccination and other states might not. Experts in immunization are concerned that, you know, this could be a possibility and are working to reassure these state health officials that while there are quite legitimate concerns about political interference at the FDA and at CDC, There are these two outside advisory groups made up of people who are mostly academics who will be having public meetings to review the data around COVID-19 vaccines. And it'll be really hard for any sort of political appointee or political operative to mess with the conclusions of these outside committees. And our last report tonight is from Michael McInoni on the economic damage wrought by the virus in minority communities. Michael McInoni here, a policy reporter with CQ. I did some reporting with my colleague, Jim Saxa, on a new poll showing the adverse impact the coronavirus has had on several minority communities. 
We've known for a while now that Black, Latino, and Native Americans disproportionately catch coronavirus and die from it. But a new poll out Wednesday from NPR, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, and Harvard shows they've been hit harder by the economic downturn, too. More than half of Latino, Black, and Native American households report facing serious financial problems like food insecurity or the inability to make rent. That's a lot higher than white households. Only a third or so said they faced the same problems. More than six in 10 Latino households report losing some income since the start of the pandemic. That's about 15 percentage points higher than the national average. These losses come despite the fact that people of color are more likely to work in so-called essential jobs or industries. Now, this poll was conducted over the course of July, and Robert Wood Johnson Foundation CEO Richard Besser tells us that the numbers might be worse if the poll was conducted today. That's because hundreds of billions of dollars the federal government spent to prop up the economy has run out. Americans last got a stimulus check months ago, and the expanded unemployment benefits have been pared back. Talks over more aid have stalled in Congress. That means the communities hardest hit by the virus, hardest hit by the economic downturn, will have to wait to receive more help. Finally, some good news for college football fans. The Big Ten Conference, which includes the powerhouse programs at Michigan, Nebraska, Ohio State, Penn State, and Wisconsin, reversed its decision to cancel the season and said it expected games to resume by the end of next month. The conference said players and staff would be tested daily for the virus to prevent outbreaks. That's all for tonight. Stay with us for all the latest policy news on the pandemic. For the entire CQ Roll Call News team, I'm Sean Zeller.